morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Ellen van Dijk and Tobias Foss claim the first two rainbow jerseys of this year's World Championships, both storming to victory against the clock. Joining me to look back on the time trials and look ahead to the road races is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. It seems like every time recently we've come onto this, I go, oh, it's been ages. It's only been three days since we last did this. So uh, yeah, we're back again. I'm glad we, we're talking so so frequently now, Tom. It's, uh, it's a real joyous thing for me. Yeah, well, obviously we have our little chat before we record where I can make fun of this, whatever the Southampton result's been at the weekend, and then we get straight into this. Yeah, we'll gloss over the Southampton result because <laughs> once again, we're in a horrific patch of form and uh, this is not the platform for it. Um, Tom, before we get into anything, there is a story that I want to bring to your attention that I don't know if you've seen. Uh, well, I don't know if I've seen it or not, if you don't tell me what it is. Okay, right. Um, <laughs> have you seen the stories about the swooping birds in Wollongong? I have, the magpies. Yeah. Yeah. This is how I was going to shoehorn Newcastle into the into the episode as well. All right, go on then. We're called the magpies. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you drew yeah. it the weekend, so it's not... I was there. It was awful as well. That was a terrible game. I, I actually have it on good authority that they are not actually magpies, these birds, but they look a lot like magpies. They're black and white. I've seen a picture of them. They're definitely black and white. They don't look like the magpies I know, like European magpies. I just assumed it was like some sort of new world magpie rather than a kookaburra painted black and white or something. No, I think it's like an all fingers of thumbs. No, wait, what's it? I think, what's the phrase? You know how like all magpies are black and white, but not all black and white birds are magpies. It's that sort of situation. You're trying to say all thumbs are fingers, but not all fingers are thumbs. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Basically, for anyone that's not up to date on this story, there is uh, the the race organisers have plotted the race in an area where there is a lot of swooping birds. Are they nesting? Is that what it is? Is it nesting? It is. Apparently, this is very well known to Australian cyclists. Like it it happens every year. This time of year is quite a common occurrence. And to the rest of the world, no one's (laughs) ever heard of it before. Um, And yeah, basically, they're nesting and... um, defending their nests from all these encroaching cyclists so apparently the thing is they don't like people traveling at speed through their area so if for example a cyclist practicing for a time trial or a cyclist practicing for a road race uh comes along these roads they will swoop down and kind of like kick them in the head i mean fortunately cyclists wear helmets so they haven't been hurt from it um balcom oliver shared a video of him kind of laughing as it happened um and that was one of the ones that I saw. But I mean, it's, it's quite a, you know, when you're trying to get in the mental headspace for a race, it's not the sort of thing you want. No. And I, well, I've heard, I was reading that sometimes, yeah, they just sort of like swoop down and pass close by sort of thing, you know, as like a scare tactic. But some of them will follow you for like 300 meters, claw at your helmet. And like, and, and, so, and sometimes it's more than one, you know, there's like swarms of them. It's absurd. Well, fortunately, it hasn't happened in any of the racing. We've had the time trials, Tom. I slept for two hours on Saturday night because I was up reporting on the time trials. You are much more committed than me because I went out for a pint on Friday night and then woke up late and went to Newcastle to go to the football. Yeah, well, I'm actually employed to report on these things. So I guess the commitment <laughs> comes with a, a monetary incentive. <laughs> um, it was quite exciting, actually. Um, the, the women's one, let's start with that one. Grace Brown was absolutely loving it. I think she was, for many, a surprise package. I think for herself, she wouldn't have been surprised by the performance she put in and for her to sit in the hot seat essentially all day 
um, only to get tumbled by the last rider down the ramp, Ellen Van Dyke, was a very, very strong performance. Yeah, I was actually a bit frustrated with myself because you correctly called me out on uh, the last time we recorded for basically picking the no, the two number one time trialists and defending champions um, as my two picks. And um, I had made a note of Grace Brown and I said, Grace Brown, local roads, she, she could be, you know, the surprise package. And then I completely forgot to say it when we recorded. Um, so, yeah, really nice to see her do well. And thankfully, uh, Ellen Van Dyke was my pick and did win. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was the only one of our predictions that we got right. And we'll get yeah. on to your other prediction for the men's race in a minute. <laughs> um, you got Ellen Van Dyke right. She was flying. I, I don't think she was really expecting to win it at the start of the day. At least she said she wasn't anyway, which is a kind of modest thing to say. Ah, they um, all do that. Yeah, an interesting little tidbit for you there, Tom. Zoe Backstead in this morning's, as we're recording today, uh, junior uh, women's time trial event apparently went quicker than Ellen Van Dyke to the first time check. That's big. I mean, bear in mind that Ellen Van Dyke was doing like at least, well, just more than twice the length of the course yeah. that Backstead did. So she'd have to time the effort a bit more. But I mean, that is a telling sign for the future, isn't it? It's certainly impressive riding, unless it was a massive, uh, you know, uh, positive split and she really. I don't know. I, I haven't actually seen this morning's... Um, is it the junior or was it under 23? Under it was the, the junior. Well, I mean, back, Backstead won by over a minute and a half. So she which, wasn't over, clinging on at the end either. No, I mean, over no. a 14-kilometre time trial is... That's a massive gap. That is such a big gap. <laughs> um, history was made, too, in the... Well, we had a kind of mash-up elite under 23s women's time trial. Mm -hmm. Vittoria Guazzini. Um, Tom, as an Italophile, you were surely glad to hear about that one. Yeah, uh, as I am, I, well, you say Italophile, I more or less consider myself Italian these days. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, she she made history to become the first under twenty three rider to win the women's under twenty three time trial championship. <laughs> uh, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my pick, Marlon Rusa, didn't really. I don't know if she didn't have the juice on the day or what it was, but she. I mean, she looked really good on the bike she was like super aero but it just didn't really come to fruition at the end yeah and it seemed like it went that way for a lot of people um across the men and the women there were just some very people who were surprisingly not as quick as you thought they might be so do you want to know why that is tom because i've figured it out oh god and then here comes a, a theory no it's not a theory it's quite obvious actually um considering the course the course was obviously the same for the two um events yeah um the course had 56 corners on it and it had over three times the elevation of last year's course in Flanders. So it was no real surprise then that the like pure powerhouses didn't win. I guess the most obvious case of that was Filippo Ganna um, in the men's race. Didn't really get up to full steam, didn't gain enough momentum on the long straights because there weren't any long straights and um, finished seventh, which I think was probably the most shocking result of the day. Yeah, um, fifty-five seconds down on the on the winner in the end as well, wasn't he? Which was um, you'd never really see him gap like that. And yeah, we did allude to it in the previous episode. It's a technical course. It's um, everything you've just said again. Essentially, that you know, it was not suited to Ganna's strengths, and yet you you always just feel that he's so powerful. It doesn't really matter. I don't know. I, I think with the kind of there weren't any like super sharp corners on there but 
there was a lot of times where the riders had to come out of the aero bars into the skis back into the aero bars and i think a lighter rider like for example tobias foss benefited from that because they were able to be a bit more nimble but then again when you watch ganna he full-on throws his bike around the course yeah and he's obviously got the setup at ineos they're not going to be left wanting for any sort of technical innovation or you know extra what extra you know i i really doubt it's a question of his sort of technique or bike handling skills or technical ability because i just think that would be something that's constantly worked on yeah and i think what has happened now is that a lot of people are questioning this hour record that he's going to be doing in a couple of weeks time the timing is strange given what we saw on two days ago well i mean this goes back to what i was saying last time either that or he's been fully fully concentrating on only turning left for the velodrome um and that's why he struggled with so many corners so i guess only time will tell do we even Um, have to turn it's banked yeah exactly well you just tilt just tilt (laughs) into it um but we'll see i mean it was was interesting watching the race mainly because i was kind of delusionally sleepy but also because everybody was waiting for that kind of stacked back end of riders to come out in the final wave you know, your Remco Evenepoels, your Taddy Pogacas, your Filippo Ganners. But the winner was already there out on the course, Tom. Tobias Foss, 25-year-old Norwegian rider. What did you know about Tobias Foss? And be honest. Uh, do, you want to, do you want to say the message that I sent you when, when it so, happened? So you messaged me um, in the morning, I think, when you woke up, and you said, Foss, question mark. And when you said that, I thought it was like, Oh, Tom's, you know, questioning like, oh, what a surprising performance. Foss? How did Foss do it? Um, you later revealed that the reason you sent that text was because you had never heard of Tobias Foss. <laughs> I can't, he's not really crossed my radar before, no. <laughs> you know what? That's fine. Because I mean, as I said to you, Tom, that's justifiable because his main victory before this came in the Tour de l'Avenir, which is not a race that's closely followed. And other than that, he's only really won kind of national time trial. I think he won the national road race as well before. Um, so unless you're keeping up with the Norwegian national championships, it is understandable. I mean, oh no, actually, he came ninth in the Giro, which you should really know, actually. Yeah, look, as we've established plenty of times, I can ever never remember who comes third. So getting down to ninth is... <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, he was very strong, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, as you say, um, at some point, and I know you'll want to do this. We're going to have to give a little small, you know, I don't really know how to phrase it, but say something about Stefan Kung. I wanted to move on to this in a second. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you might, because um, he was just two seconds less strong. <laughs> oh, it broke my heart. I mean, Stefan Kung is one of those riders that we well, I'm sure we've said this before when he's lost time trials before. Um <laughs> looks so distraught when he loses just can't take losing it's not that he can't take it like he can take it because he's done it enough times um <laughs> but it, it's more that he just wears it on his face so evidently and it breaks my heart to see it like he i've never seen him go that deep on a time trial he was so desperate to win it and to miss but not to miss but to, to kind of fall short by such a small amount of seconds by like a handful of seconds was uh was heartbreaking yeah, as you said, you you really live it with him, don't you? You do, and you, you could see on his face. I mean, I can't. Was it Rob Hatch on the commentary when he was coming across the line? And I was like, right, this is it. Stefan Kung's won. After I called him a nearly man in the preview, he's proved me wrong. <laughs> I'm going to have to eat my words. 
on the next podcast. Sadly, Stefan, I don't have to eat my words. I was right. But yeah, when he was coming across the line, that the dribble coming out of his mouth, he'd clearly either gone too deep or just kind of not had the power in the last few moments, maybe because of that kind of rolling elevation of the course kind of took it out of him a bit. But yeah, missed that by two seconds. And I bet he was thinking, was there a corner that I could have come in a bit narrower on? Was there a section I could have put down the power a little bit more on? He'll be thinking that for unless he does go on to win a gold at some point later in his career, he will be thinking that every day for the rest of his life, I'm sure. Oh, the poor guy. The poor guy. Um, he actually came second in the European Championships this year too, a race that he had won twice in a row. But he did win the time trial at the Tour poitou Charente on Nouvelle-Aquitaine. So, cloud. Exactly. Silver linings and all that. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a completely, you know, forgettable season for Stefan Kung. Um, I'll leave. I'll leave him with that consolation. Then he doesn't. Yeah. So, so I, I, can I just? I, I didn't actually mean to go so strong in on Stefan Kung. There, I'm a very big <laughs> Stefan Kung fan, and I want him to win as much as Stefan Kung wants him to win. Um, it is just a recurring tragedy to see him come second or narrowly miss out. Should we move on to the road race, Tom? Happy to. I asked you before this episode to take me through the course. Now, what can I? and the listeners listening in to this episode expect from the two races we're going to get this weekend the elite so, ones i have done my research on the course as requested and i've got the roadbook up here as well and i'll be honest there doesn't there's not much to it um for some reason the women start slightly further north up the coast um than the men do in a place called Helensborough which is I thought was in the west of Scotland but is apparently on the east coast of Australia and the men start honestly there's really not much in it we are talking like I don't know because I, I, I haven't got a scale on my map here either but it can't be 510k in a place called Stanwell Park and they just make their way south down the coast until they get to uh, Wollongong it's pretty much flat um, there's this climb up Mount do you, how do you say it? Kyra, Kira, Kira, um, which is a mountain. It's 460 meters in elevation, give or take a couple of meters, um, above Wollongong. They go up that once. And then for the men, I believe they've got, it's a very, it's a strangely, looking at the map, it's a strangely small and compact city circuit um, that they just move on to for the laps. Um, there's a tiny little rise in the middle of this circuit, which I guess makes the profile interesting. And over 270k for the men, that will obviously be sapping. But there honestly doesn't seem to be much more to it. Up a mountain, into the city, laps of the city. So what surprised me is one kind of mounting within the first 40k, 40, the 44, 45k it comes in. So it's not going to be that decisive. And yeah. But somehow it still manages to accumulate like 4,000 meters elevation gain. I mean, it's a short lap from what I can tell. And, um, the, you know, there is that little bump in there that, that must add up. They do get to, it's about, it's about 100 metres above sea level. And obviously, for some of that, they're on the coast. So there's, there probably is, there's at least, the high point of the city is, a, you know, there's 100 metres, right? It's 100 metres a lot over the space? I don't think it is. No, it doesn't seem like it. So, so by the tone of your voice, Tom, I'm sensing that you don't think it's going to be a classic. <laughs> I don't know. It could be, especially the, the women do 100, kilometer, uh, 100 kilometers less. They're doing 164 point something. 
and the men are doing 260, essentially 270. Um, and if, over that distance for the men, it could be, you know, that final lap could be an absolute killer. There could be people all over the road. If that elevation really does start to creep into the legs, there could be splits early on. As you say, at 40K, they've got um, quite a significant climb in there. Um, but no, it doesn't seem... Uh, look, you have world champ world championship courses... They have to mix them up. Sometimes you just get pan flat ones suited to sprinters. So it's probably better than that. Even though occasionally you do have to let the sprinters have a crack at the world championships. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, this isn't obviously not a sprinters course, but I think it's interesting that there's no kind of clear identifiable springboard for attacks that we can see later on in the race. I mean, the Mount Cairo one or whatever, however it's pronounced, is probably where someone like Annemiek van Vluten is going to try a long one and then go for a hundred kilometers. That's the only springboard, the only person that could potentially see that as a springboard. She uh, could. In, as you say, in the men, I just think there's far too much of the race left for that to to even begin to be an option. No. Uh, and there's what's the little, there's a little lump in the circuit that they do, which I guess maybe like one lap out they could use. I think it's called it's called Mount Pleasant, which it might not be. But I, I think Wow Van Aert actually put on his Twitter not Twitter, on his Strava making a joke about it being Mount Not-So-Pleasant. So make of that pun what you will. But I guess that's kind of, that reveals something about this climb. Um, I, th- I think the most likely scenario is that we will come down to some sort of reduced group. And in that group, there will be probably five riders, uh, two of them that you thought could pos- possibly win it, and three of them that you thought, how the hell has this person ended up there? It's really hard to call because the, the the profile does sort of look like a almost one of the what you know uh, one of the Belgian classics, but except it's on I assume very nicely paved Australian roads, not two hundred year old cobbled Belgian streets. That, that is something that I can say about the individual time trials, Tom. The roads looked beautiful; they were immaculately paved, very wide, um, yeah, stunning. Which again just means there's no attritional element to this. It's not like last year when we were in Flanders where they were going through like the old town of Leuven up the like cobbled climbs and back down yeah. and hey we'll see um should, should we have a look at the favorites then yes let's go ahead I, I yeah are you going to be tipping the two favorites again this time Tom yeah no I yeah probably I was going to but I want to go back to my point about Grace Brown and although I don't this isn't local roads for him I fancy Michael, him yeah oh sorry yeah, because I'm going to talk about Michael Matthews now. Oh, right. You, you, yeah. set, it, you set it up by talking about Grace Brown. Yeah, because they're both Australian. Oh, right. Okay. No. Okay. Sorry. As you were. <laughs> well, there we so go. They are. Michael Matthews. Michael Matthews. That is a good shout. Apparently, he's in it to win it. I think he would be. If he has the form he showed at the tour earlier in the year, then he could be the one to get away over this undulating course. Oh, good word. Yeah. Um, not to be dull and bring the UCI relegation scrap into this but for anybody that is following that um, points at the world championships actually count for your trade teams in the relegation scrap Um, so if Michael Matthews does win Bike Exchange will be very very pleased with him. I think Bike Exchange have just got enough to to be okay compared to some of the other teams down there Um, but I don't think that means that Michael Matthews will be having the day off. No, no, certainly not. Um, that's a good guess. So is he going to be your, your number one pick? I mean, you only get one pick on this. so I guess I would have loved to have gone for Wout Van Aert, but uh, I'll leave him open to you. 
No, you know what? I'm not going to go for wealth and art. I'm going to follow your dark horse strategy. Uh, not Julian Alaphilippe either then? I don't think Alaphilippe's going to win it. He's already kind of put up a, a note of surrender on his Instagram. Um, it was something along the lines of, I love my fiance or my girlfriend, whatever Marion Maurice is to him. Um, and I love my baby and I love my rainbow stripes, but I'm only going to keep two of them after this race. Well, unless he's planning something really drastic. <laughs> um, that I'm paraphrasing, by the way. It definitely wasn't <laughs> that literally. Um, Taddy Pogacar is... Can I interject here? He's not who I'm going to go for for my pick because I know that, that wouldn't be a dark horse <laughs> to go for the two-time Tour de France champion. <laughs> Dom, you're going to be annoyed at who I'm going to pick. Uh, are you going for Fred? I'm not going for Fred. No, um, okay. You did tweet about Fred, though. I did tweet about Fred and a lot of people agreed with it. So yeah. we'll see about that. Um, I'm going, Tom, for... I think France are going to retain the rainbow bands. Oh, no, no, no. And I think <laughs> it is a course that really suits Roman Bardet. Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, you know what? I would have said Benoit Cosnefroy as well. I think the two of them... Yeah, he's a much better shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean, he's only, he's only flown in last minute. He wasn't originally picked. So I don't know if he's, you know, ready mentally for it. Bardet, on the other hand, didn't ride the Vuelta like Alaphilippe or didn't dislocate his shoulder like Alaphilippe <laughs> and has shown a very promising form this season. Uh, it's, look, you know, you know the agreement we have if some of these riders win races. There's no way we can go to Wollongong short notice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we could find an alternative. Um it's New South Wales, isn't it? So maybe we could go to Old South Wales. As I say, the women start in Helensburgh, which is only an hour and a half away on the train for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. We'll go to, I mean, what? <laughs> I think it's quite an easy promise to make because I'm not sure it's going to happen. Honestly, but, looking at the maps as well, I think there was a place called Scarborough on the coast somewhere. <laughs> it would really be justice for what happened in 2019, 2018 in Innsbruck um, when Bardet was robbed off a, of a world title. Um, uh, every week you have to bring this one up as well. We're not. We're, we're not going to get into this one. Oxford, you know that's in Kent. We can go there. Right. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, my favourite for the women's race, Tom, is obviously mm-hmm. Annemiek van Vluten. I think you'll yeah. probably think she'll win it as well. I do. Um, but should we pick another one instead? Uh, if we have to. Okay. Right. Uh, Sorry, I was going to let you go first. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, so I, I'm not going to go Dutch either, although I think the Dutch have a lot of cards to play. Uh, yeah, see, um, it's, very, <laughs> it's really difficult once you move away from the Dutch. You know you know what, Tom? Actually, literally at this point, we could just cut and paste what we said in last year's episode. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Well, you know, the Dutch have got Mariana Vos. They've got Demi Bollering. Um, Vos was there in the finale last year in Leuven. So we know that she can get over these climbs, although it was half as much climbing last year, we know that she can still pack a punch in the you know, finishing moments. Yeah, but she is Dutch. Even though she got rolled by Balsamo. And she is Dutch, and when we've said we're not going to pick a Dutch <laughs> person. Um, Tom, my favourite for the women's race is an Italian. Oh, interesting, because I was about to say uh, I might go Italian as well. Elisa Longo-Borghini. I think she's going to win it. I was looking at Balsamo to retain it. No, it's too. I think the course is too challenging for someone like Baltimo. And then I've also been looking at Lotte Kopecky. Lotte Kopecky? Yeah. She is a punchy rider. Exactly. 
so she could well get involved there. I think her risk is trying to. I think she'll be the one. If the Dutch are marking anybody, they'll probably be marking her. Yeah. Um, which is exactly what happened in Leuven last year. Kopecky was one of the favourites and she got marked out of it completely. I think this is a race for the Paris-Roubaix winner, Elisa Longo-Borghini. Okay, I will let you... I'm going to lock in Kopecky and you can have Longo-Borghini and then we can watch as there is inevitably a Dutch (laughs) (laughs) 1-2-3. Okay, so right, we've got um, lots of Kopecky and... Well, you're going Kopecky, I'm going Longo-Borghini. Yeah, for the men's race, you're going Michael Matthews. I want Michael Matthews. And oh god, I'm starting to regret mine now. And I've gone Roman Bardé. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, has he ever won a one-day race? You know, what? I'm just going to bring up. Uh, if I if I were a gambler, I would uh, I would bring up my betting account now. I'll see quickly what the prices are. Because can you give us the prices <laughs> I, on all of those? Actually, uh, I can once I get to. Do you have to it's, scroll down really far on the page for them? I, I feel for Bardet, I might have to get, <laughs> might have to get far. The favourite for the men's road race at three to one is Wout Van Aert. Yeah. Michael Matthews is at 14s. Okay. Um, I'm scrolling a long way here. Roman Bardet's name is not appearing. Roman Bardet, you can have now for the fine price. Let me guess, run. let me guess, let me guess. 250 to one. Oh, no, you've... You've gone long. He's 175. 170. Oh, must have been a lot of money coming on him already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his, his parents and his wife have been betting. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, unfortunately, they are only offering a market, uh, this particular bookmaker, on the men. So I haven't, haven't got the prices for the women yet. Right. Okay. Well, I don't think either of them are going to be that long. No, I would imagine the two at least. I think we've we've got a lot more rogue with the men than we have with the. Uh, no, in fact, Michael Matthews is not a rogue choice. You've just gone way off with Roman Bardi. Okay, well, look, we'll see, Tom. You might be eating your words. Um, I have when, the last two years. When Roman Bardi inevitably does win, where can people see my absolute outpouring of emotion? Uh, as ever, they can find it on on. Well, they can find it on. They can find it on Twitter and Instagram by searching at TTPDCST. There you go. Um, will you be watching the races this weekend, Tom? I am in Italy this weekend, unsurprisingly. Uh, so I'll try, but the likelihood is, given the time they're on, I will be asleep. Okay, well, there you fair enough. That's, <laughs> that's how it is. That's how it is. Um, I will be up watching them. Um, so I'll fill you in. Keep me updated. If you send me enough WhatsApps and my phone vibrates enough, then uh, I might be able to wake up and convince Gaia to stick Rye, whatever channel it will be on in Italy. I don't know. Well, until then, Tom, it has been a pleasure speaking to you, as always. Twice in the space of a week is truly unprecedented by TT Podcast standards. I know, and we might do another one next week to round up these world championships as well, just from Australia. There you go. Well, yeah, from from uh, Helensburg, wherever it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to you, the listener, thank you very much for tuning in. As always, we'll be back after the world championships have tied up and finished um, with our highly esteemed and very well-respected opinions and reaction on all the action. But until then... Thanks very much and take care. Thanks, everyone.